Welcome to another episode of Young Entrepreneurs with the Green Nerf team. Today we have a special guest, Edward Vargas Torres. How are you doing today, Edward? Doing absolutely fine. What about yourself, Nelson? I'm doing pretty amazing up here in Chicago. Um, would you like to tell Don to a bit about yourself before we get started today? Yeah, sure. So as you mentioned, uh, my name is Edward, so hi. <laughs> uh, I am an author, a game developer, and an engineer. And those things kind of like, they mix well. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Um, it's a kind of complicated long story, but I am currently developing what I would say is a video game, but actually I was just talking to Nelson about this and I'm actually gonna be releasing a couple of secret games before the main game that I'm focusing on comes out. So I'll be more than happy to answer any type of questions in regard to that and any type of authorship questions. And just in general, I like to like learn how to become independent, trying to like make my own business here. But at the same time, I also very much value the power of networking and I have some pretty cool stories to tell about that. So. That's kind of like a small introduction about my end over here. And uh, also I'm currently located in Puerto Rico. So Nelson and I are obviously having this conversation through you know, the interwebs. It's pretty cool what you can do with the internet. So just putting it out there. We, and also I've heard you're one of our first team members from the original Green Roof team. Yeah, so one day Nelson was like, hey, I have this idea. Um, kind of want to do something productive on a roof, maybe color it green. And I said, all right, I think I think we should definitely do a green roof, you know. And, you know, the rest is history. There's a lot of great things that came out of that. And I'm very happy to see all the progress that has been happening so far. So congrats on that, Nelson. Sweet. Yeah, definitely we could not have done without you and so many others using the good old interweb. <clears throat> so getting today kicked off, um, I'd like to bring to everyone's attention that Edward was on the show before, a little under a year ago. So if you want to hear more about that conversation, definitely find it, um, scroll back on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcastings. Um, so since then, Edward, would you like to share and talk a bit about what you've been up to and how um, you've made different changes in your life since the last third? Yeah, for sure. So referencing the last podcast, we basically talked about the challenges of being an author, uh, just kind of like the writing process, what you have to look out for. And it's been a really funny ride since I was over here thinking like, yeah, books are cool and everything, but there's this like void in my heart, right? Like I love telling stories. I love the, the whole storytelling process as a whole, but there was just something that in my opinion wasn't connecting. And I felt like I needed to put that artistic energy somewhere else. So I was thinking of like the film industry, because in a way you basically have, you know, your art moving and animated and it just feels and looks amazing. And I was like, man, that sounds like a really cool concept and such. But at the same time, I was also in the transition of working as a nuclear engineer. So I was kind of like conflicted between should I continue my authorship career? Should I you know, just focus on engineering? Should I continue learning what I can do as a, you know, nuclear engineer since it was a completely new industry that I was slightly interested in at the beginning? And ultimately in my free time, I realized that, hey, engineers are like people that make stuff, right? So like, it, that, that's kind of like programming, right? Maybe maybe there's some programming there, I, I don't know. Um, I've been playing a little bit of, uh, a lot with programming in the background, specifically with a software known as Unity. And Unity is a, very large game engine that a lot of video game developers use. So I was kind of like 
you know, getting my feet wet with it, trying to see like, okay, how does this programming thing work? Like, I, I really don't know. It's like, I'm, I'm still learning as of today, right? But point is, I felt like I got a little bit confident on how to make something there. And it was an ability to finally have, you know, software that you can actually like tell stories with. So, you know, from classic like authorship where it's like, oh, I can just write a book. I can just go ahead and, you know, make a story. Suddenly you have a tool that lets you write visual novels or something that's more dynamic in storytelling. And then I realized, wait a minute, I don't have to stick to like, you know, read this page, press this button to go to the next page. I can just make like a video game, right? Okay, cool. That's what I'm going to go for. So in my free time, started working a lot with programming, started learning how to, I started to learn how to do like a lot of um, like small animations. We started adding like music. We started adding a whole bunch of aspects to what would make a video game, you know, a video game at the end of the day. And I realized that there was a lot of complex systems that could be modular for multiple games. So, you know, we fast forward a little bit in my timeline here and I decide to, uh, you know, leave the nuclear and en nuclear engineering industry to prioritize my game development industry career that I would like to involve myself a little bit more with. So now I've been working on this prototype of the game that I've been secretly working on. And Nelson actually got to play a little preview demo of that. So I would actually like to see if Nelson would like to say something about that as in your experience with the little prototype here. Definitely, I remember we were, um getting after it not too long ago. Um, the user interface, one of the easiest games um, someone, a friend of mine had made and I was able to pick it up easily. Um, the character graphics, incredible. The action, I loved it. Being able to take down those enemies, even the difficult ones that took a couple tries. Okay. And, oh yeah. And just being able to, especially after losing a few battles, try and find what the pattern was, how the game engine's AI was able to operate, right? Um, and overall, it was a great experience. Um, I liked it, and I can't wait to see the next levels in it. Which is the funny full circle here, because uh, ladies and gentlemen, I have tricked Nelson into testing my systems. You see, uh, I made this prototype that had, uh, I think it was like 56, 57 systems. Um, basically little programs that independently work on each other to make sure that you have a playable experience. Um, so for this grid-based game, you would basically move in, you know, up, down, left, right in a square direction. And you would use that to dodge. You would use that to engage in combat. And there's a lot of like interesting things that you can do with that. Now, Nelson was under the impression that he was playing a game that I was preparing. When in reality, the trick and the secret and the, and the, the plot twist here is he was just testing my systems. So I have recently made the decision to release multiple mini micro games based off of these systems. Um, the first game that will be coming out, I'm expecting by the end of the month, it could be a little bit longer, but one of them is uh, based on a, well, it's basically a dodging simulator. So Nelson, if you liked the, the movements that you were able to play in the game, imagine just dodging and that's it, nothing else. Super simple, but there's the thing. So stick around and I'll probably like make a little official announcement here, but uh, that's pretty much what kind of like happened with my career. I went from writing, found the free time to do some programming while I was engaging in nuclear engineering. And then I realized that, hey, I'm probably just way more passionate making games. And 
thanks to the help of playtesters such as Nelson, I've been able to receive great feedback to improve on the skill of, you know, making a game playable, fun, and more importantly, not that difficult, because I'm so sorry you had to die 12 times in that <laughs> one fight. It's, it's, I have the recordings, I'm sorry. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it's all a process on just like trying to iterate, improve, and become a better programmer, developer, and, you know, just continue working on the career that you wish to be in. Nice. And aside from me dying, I like that model of making them um, miniature versions to be able to fish out and get specific feedback on. So do you have a, so what's your thoughts on how much feedback is good feedback in order to find that um, full final design? It's extremely important to have playtesters just to make sure that you are making something that is satisfiable for a larger audience. And so one thing that I really want to like mention here is the fact that networking is such a powerful tool because it not only allows you to meet more people, but you basically get to learn everyone's different type of perspectives. Um, I was developing this prototype for about two to three months to make sure that all the systems were working, but I always had this tunnel vision of like, oh yeah, this game is probably going to be really good. It's going to make sure I'm going to make sure that it has all the things that it needs, but my perspective alone is probably not enough to satisfy a large audience. So thanks to once again, Nelson and all these other play testers that I was able to accumulate through social media, through friend groups, through a bunch of, uh, areas that you can find in the industry, you I was basically able to make a list of people that would have a bunch of different type of opinions. Um, some of the playtesters were huge fans of games that were already grid-based. Other playtesters didn't have too much video game experience, which was a great way to control um, how the impression was as like, or rather what I'm trying to say here is if they had little to no experience with these type of games, I could gauge how easy it was for them to pick up the game. If it was too difficult, then I realized my design might be a little bit too complicated and I needed to do something to optimize that. Um, there's a whole diverse like perspective of how that works. And that's why it's like really important not only to network and meet people and try to see how everyone perceives something, but making sure that you have these play testers allows you to escape that tunnel vision that you don't want to have. Uh, you know, once you create something, and I know you probably had this feeling before, but you know, you're, you're probably building, you know, the green roof. And then you're like, ah, oh, this is kind of like my, my baby. I want to make sure it's fine. You know, it's gonna, it's my everything. But sometimes we need to take a step back and just kind of hear other people's opinions. Now, not all criticisms are necessarily valid. What's pretty important to hear is find out what is actually relevant information and then use that to build something better. Um, the unique thing about uh, criticism is that it kind of comes down to like two main categories opinion like opinions or opinionated perspectives and then criticism that is more mechanical or things that allows you to improve a specific system so for example i had a play tester that said i don't like the main i don't like the colors of the main character because it's very like flamboyant and i was like cool like i i appreciate that because you know the main character is pink and everything that i that's it's just designed that way um, that doesn't mean I'm going to change the character's color. Like, I'll, I'll take your opinion. And I'll be like, okay, that's cool. But I'm not going to change the color because there, there's a reason why I, I chose that pink color. However, there was other criticisms that said, hey, the controls were a little bit difficult to uh, like use. I would prefer if you would add like a mouse option just to make it a little bit easier. And so when you logically break down that commentary, you realize, okay, 
well, this is something I can actually improve on and it would help the majority of the audience to kind of have like a easier time to facilitate their play times. So yeah, criticism, networking, um, play testing, there's a whole system behind it and it's pretty important to make sure that you listen to everyone very carefully. And then, you know, choose a little bit on what's an opinion, what's, what's something that could be logically improved on and just work on that. Nice. Um, so breaking down networking bit, um, could you talk about the process of how do you choose play testers? Um, how do you leverage your different networks? So which networks did you go into? So for video games in specific, the marketing process is very interesting because you actually kind of want to find people that played the game that you're making. That if these people, if they played a game similar to yours, then that's a good sign. Um, the reason why is because there is, statistically speaking, there are more gamers that are willing to play games of the same genre. So in a weird way, when you make an art piece or when you advertise or when you send out a tweet, when you do anything social media related, you kind of always want to have like a small hint of familiarity. What this does is that this allows gamers or you know players of your game to realize, hey, this is similar to this other game that I used to play or it, look, it reminds me of something that I have experience with. So because it's familiar, it becomes a little bit more approachable for them. It's very difficult to get, and this is just like a funny example, right? But if you have someone that plays, I guess, like chess all day, and you ask them, hey, do you want to play the shooter game, this and that, you know, like, they're, they're two completely different experiences. There's a possibility that they say, yeah, but at the same time, there's also, you know, they're, they're very big different type of genres. And that sometimes we are a little bit more comfortable sticking to the same, sticking to things that are familiar. So the strategy is kind of just deploying again like media tweets reddit posts um posts on instagram just things that are like hey i'm making this game it looks like this might remind you of another famous battle uh yeah battle based grid game um i specifically have like three games that are kind of like inspired from mine so i use those inspirations to like make it easier for people to understand what type of game they're getting into. And then if I know that they have an interest in it or if that they previously had experience playing the game by, if they, I guess, posted a fan art or if they made a video based off of the other games that I'm inspired by, then I found someone kind of my target audience. So that person has is more likely to have experience with the type of genre I'm making. And as a result, I would kind of either cold call them or try to like ease my way into saying like, hey, uh, this is what's going on in, in my background right now. Would you possibly be interested in trying it out right now? And typically if they said yes, then great. They get access to the demo. They get access to the prototype. They get access to the beta. They give me their feedback. And then I would kind of prioritize their feedback a little bit strongly simply because they already have previous experience with this genre. Um, that's kind of just how I find these play testers, just like searching, doing the kind of research on like those people that post online off of the games that I'm inspired of. And I do sometimes find playtesters that have no experience just to test out, again, kind of like the ease of getting into the game, if that makes sense. Definitely it does. And I like that um, you throw out the term familiarity. Um, and I'm a big, and I've seen that in what we've been doing here as well, being able to find people in related areas. So then they have some sense of common familiarity and be able to make connections easier to what we're doing and what they've already known. So throughout this entire process, have you achieved something, anything small, anything big that you're grateful for? 
in the last few months. I wish I could say, oh man, I got recognized. I got these awards, I got this. But I guess like the hard truth of uh, developers that are just starting off is that we are typically very small to the point that we really need to start focusing on gathering our audiences just in order to kind of have that push so that when we do launch a game, we have the ability to say, hey, this does exist. Um, and I guess like another statistical fun fact here is there are about 30 games that come out per day. So imagine you launch your own game without having an audience. Well, suddenly you have the flood of other games to compete with to see like who's going to be the most visible one. And then I guess like one pretty important thing about marketing is that you're not competing for the attention of your surrounding. You're competing of the attention of the world. We're talking about like, how do I know you're going to look at my post and not look at another, another game. But more importantly, how do I know you're not going to go to Netflix? How do I know you're not going to scroll on social media? How do I know, you know, like everyone's so busy and there's going to be so many things to possibly do that pinpointing your specific product is always going to be a difficult thing to do when you just release it without having any type of audience, any type of background. Um, so while I don't necessarily have like awards or milestones or such, um, what I would like to mention is I have been able to deploy the prototype that you were able to play. And the reception was really, really well done to the point where I was able to polish my three secret games in the background. So, you know, while that's not a public thing I should be saying, it's like, hey guys, there's a secret in the background. And my idea is to deploy these games so that more players get comfortable with how I design my games. And then as a result, that could build up to one day getting like an award saying, hey, you got you got 100 people liking your stuff. It's like, let's go, you know, but hey, until then, just small build up until then. Nice. And definitely I'm a um, big believer in small wins matter, being able to see anything that's going well or any ways that we've been improving to be able to have that recognition and show that, hey, we're making good progress and we're getting someone somewhere down the road it's really important to start small at the end of the day and i guess one thing i want to add here is um i i think like both of us agree that we're both like very ambitious people and we would love to just start with these big projects and you know be like oh man i want to i want to rule the world i want to do all these world domination things right oh cool buddy we need, we need to we need to take a step back because you can't build like uh, what's that one quote rome wasn't built in a day you know so for you to actually have like a consistent, I guess, like product coming out or a brand that's really strong or an audience that's loyal to you, it really comes down to like the small steps. Who's going to be there first? Who's going to support you? And kind of going back to like the whole networking and marketing thing, it's not that you're trying to always like sell something or you're trying to benefit all the time. This sounds like, I guess this is like a funny piece of advice, but at the end of the day, all you're doing is just making friends. And in a genuine way, it's just like saying, hey, I'm making a project. I, it would be pretty cool if I could show you. But at the same time, you may also be interested in other people's projects as well. You know, you're not supposed to be the self-centered, like, oh, I'm doing this. I'm, uh, I need your help. Like, no, it should be like, hey, I want to share this. Would you like to take the time to check it out? If you do, cool. If you don't, that's also fine. Like, like you know, there's a lot of ways to approach certain products, projects, brands and such. But at the same time, the key point to maintaining really good relationships with your playtesters, with your audience, is also to support them in the background as well. Um, I guess like the best example I can give you right now is the fact that, hey, you're running this podcast. I know that you probably have a lot of people that are constantly joining this podcast, getting their voices out, showing their stories, and that shows support from you to them 
because you're giving them an opportunity to speak about their projects, their brand, their stuff. But as a result, their audience is also going to watch your podcast because it's like this, this network of, of like multiple people just like combining each other to see like what's going on. And at the end of the day, like, again, it's not that you're trying to be self-centered. It's not that you're trying to do all these type of things. It's just like, hey, I'm working on something. You're working on something. Why don't we share? Why don't we continue to improve? Why don't we grow together? Um, I use the term competition because I said, oh, you know, you can deploy a game and there's going to be 30 other games. You shouldn't be, I guess the word is you shouldn't be competing. You should be helping everyone else because once you help someone that can, you know, help you out in the future as well, then, you know, you basically have this full circle. It's kind of like karma, you know, there's, there's good karma, there's bad karma. Stay away from the bad karma. Just, you know, try to try to help everyone and, you know, probably good things are going to happen to you. And if not, bro, that's okay. Like you, you do what you got to do. Just keep going, but don't stop, you know? Definitely. And as you're talking about that, I was thinking about one tool that we've been using for the different products we have going on called SWOT analysis. Have you heard about that before? I have not. Would you like to educate me with that? Yes. So SWOT analysis is a tool. Um, few of us, we became familiar with it through Lean Six Sigma, but it's a good business tool, focusing on your strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats for the specific product that you're building. And when you're talking about competition, there's good and bad competition. There's bad competition that they would consider being threats, and they're what you're competing against. They're going to essentially be in your way and be obstacles. But then there's good competitions and opportunities, finding areas that some competitors are not focused on, and that can lead to your product being maybe more successful because you're reaching that target audience, that niche area that others are not focused on. Um, so competition is good bet, like how you're describing and using a tool like that to be able to identify. Um, so similar to the way you're explaining it is I'd say useful and can help show visually and separate different um, categories for a product. Because like end of the day, it's all about how do we make the best product, but then how do we reach the most people possible? Yeah. Definitely, completely agree with you here. Cool. So I like how we were talking about networking. One of your, um, my bad. I like how we we're talking about networking. One of your great strengths. Um, have you seen any weak areas in your craft in the game development authorship side um, that was costing you, and ways on how you're going about improving in those areas? You probably also can agree with me here, but. Have you ever had the analysis paralysis type of syndrome where you're over here thinking that there's so much to do and you're like, ah, I don't know where to start. Um, one of the biggest tools that any developer can use specifically for making games is to just get out there literally as soon as possible. If you are even thinking about making a game, tell the, tell the mass, put in the social media, just say, hey, this is happening. The reason why is simply because you have this ability to start ca causing like this buzz. People are getting a little bit more aware. A huge mistake that common developers make is that they deploy their game and then they start talking about it like, like, oh guys, you gotta get this, you gotta try it out. The issue with that is that you know you're you don't really have like this strong brand, you don't really have the audience. You basically started in the wrong foot if you do that. And I've learned that I've been making this prototype, you know, for the past two to three months, but I've also been making other prototypes as well before that. Uh, you were probably aware as well that I was making 
the same game, right, for two years until I decided to switch the engine, kind of improve everything, and kind of did like a soft reset of the entire development process. But in those two years, I probably could have just kept advertising and saying like, hey guys, this is coming up soon. Look at this artwork, look at this animation. The game, this game is about this. But those two years never really had those fruitions because again, I never really talked about it. So one thing that I realized or one weakness that I would say that I have that I'm trying to like improve is just trying to get visibility early. And part of that really just comes down to how you feel about your product. One thing that's really important is a lot of developers probably wouldn't want to share such an early design or an early stage because, you know, it's, it's, it's early, you know, like it doesn't look super polished, you know, maybe we have the, maybe we think we're perfectionists and we don't want to take out anything until it's like really good or really polished, but the charm behind getting things out early is the fact that you're kind of just proving to your audience that, Hey, this is how it looks like now it's going to look better in the future. And if I can provide both now, during and after like phases, how everything works, you're actually growing trust. You're actually showing them consistency. You're actually showing that you're a developer that can be committed to your words. Um, so that's like a small quality that one should think of doing if they have the hesitation of not, you know, speaking out in the early stages. So yeah, my mistake, I, I, I wasn't talking about my stuff that early, but hey, I'm learning. This new game that I'm making is coming out at the end of the month, but I also started this new game two days ago. So technically we're all fine, but uh, that's just like an example. And yeah, I really do think that getting it out there, being visible, trying to like open up about the early stages is something that might be a common fear for just entrepreneurs in general. You know, um, sometimes people are afraid of like, oh, what if my idea gets stolen? Oh, this and that. You just have to, you know, kind of trust yourself, go through it, open up. Because at the end of the day, if you can't open up early, you're not building the practice to open up at the end either. So thinking about fear, how do you find the difference and distinguish between being fearful and having a gut feeling that something's going to work out? So fear is, in my opinion, the thought of something happening that you don't really know if it's going to even happen in the first place, right? Um, fear could probably be a form of just overthinking, right? Um, I feel like a really common problem when it comes to these early fa phases is the overthinking aspect because, oh, what if I post something, it doesn't get the reception that I want, and people make fun of it. That's not, you don't know that. I mean, Nelson, what's going to happen in half an hour? Um. I will probably be eating lunch about that time. What type of lunch? <clears throat> like right like right now, you probably don't have an answer, right? So like, I don't even know. What if you go outside your door, it starts raining and you're like, you know what? I'm gonna just call an Uber Eats. It's like, like we genuinely don't know what's gonna happen in the next half an hour, in the next hour, in the next day, in the next week, in the next month. We can plan, we can predict, we can execute and we can, pro and we can optimize our probabilities to get what we want. The problem is in, pr in practice, the only time that we actually have is right now the present. So I guess like what I'm trying to say here is like if most of the fears also come like from future type of issues that could come into fruition, but we really don't know that at the end of the day. So what I did personally is I remember saying, okay, I need a post. I, I have like 
two folders, one of like really polished artwork, but it's probably like 30 files. And then one of really unpolished artworks, which are probably like 3000 files, right? So I have more unpolished than polished. So I said, all right, all right. You know, for my first, you know, my first tweet, I gotta, I gotta make a good impression, right? No, I purposely chose the worst art, the, the most unpolished, just the most like, like no one, like why would you even share this online type of artwork, right? So I put that in, when, when you like tweet something, it's like, what do you want to send? I put on the tweet. Then I, I, I was staring at the, at the send button. I was like, ah, do I want to, do I really want to put this out? And then I sneezed on accident, accidentally clicked it. It, it went out. I was like, oh, oh, it's done. And guess what? No one saw it. No one commented. No one, no one did anything. So I'm over here thinking like, oh my gosh, the, the world's going to hate me. This is the worst. I didn't even get an impression. I mean, cool, right? That, that's probably like the best benefit because now I don't have the fear of people making fun of it. I just now have to understand that people aren't even looking at it. Okay, so now I have a, a, a point that I have to work on. And then a week later, I'm still doing the same strategy, just putting like really bad quality images out there. And then like a week later, I finally got a comment. I was like, oh my gosh, let's go. And when I read the comment, it says, this looks funny. I caused entertainment. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like, like you have to look at it at the positive way. You just can't keep fearing. So difference between normal fear and gut fear. Well, normal fear is probably just like overthinking. Gut fear is overthinking, but you're using your gut. It's just, you're probably overthinking. Just, you know, just do it. Nice. I like that story too. Of just being able to go out and do it. Um, I know like anytime we do social media, we plan it out, but end it's just like, let's just make sure we keep putting something out so then we can see what people think about us, what they're reacting to and just continuously being consistent. Absolutely. So now for us coming to towards the end of our conversation, is there anything else you would like to talk about or leave the audience with? Oh, I don't know if this will be the formal announcement, but the secret game that I've been working on is going to be called Dodge King. You play as a little knight who found a crown. He puts on the crown. And the crown is like, hey, yo, can you like take me back to the person that owns me, like the actual king? And the knight, the knight is like, he can't speak, right? So he's just like, sure, like I'll do it. So what you're doing, you're dodging and you're wearing the crown. So you're the dodge king. That's all you got to do. It's, it's a dodging simulator. So <laughs> you're just literally dodging from attacks. There's robots that are going to attack you. Um, it is based off of the grid-based system that you played. So once again, if you if you personally like that, well, guess what? There's a, there's gonna be a micro game out of that. So that's coming out super soon. Um, and then I guess like if you wanted to find more information about Dodge King as a whole, you could go to my website and actually click on Join the Void to join my newsletter, which actually works this time. Because another funny thing was I kept telling you like, oh yeah, the newsletter will come out. It's been two and a half years and it still hasn't been out, but now it's actually out. So. If you go to my website, anotherchancestudios.com, you can go to join the void, join my newsletter. You'll get all the updates of Dodge King. And once it is out, you will be informed and hopefully you can play it. So I guess that's the, the small little plug in here. So <laughs> thanks for that. <laughs> Sweet. And you're the first here, guys. Go to Another Chance Studios, join the void. Edward, thank you again for your time coming on your show, sharing with us what you've been going through on the past few months and where you're heading. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you so much for hosting me here, for asking these really fun questions. Um, it actually got me thinking that I should probably like start reaching out to more people. So 
<laughs> that's something that I will be working on. And uh, yeah, once again, just thank you for everything here. And as always, I hope that the Green Roof continues to grow, that this podcast continues to grow with more wonderful guests. And again, just keep networking, keep getting out there. Don't be afraid of posting bad drawings because chances are you'll do something good. So <laughs> Sweet. Awesome. Thank you guys for listening. And remember, stay sustainable.